that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice here, solo for a little quickie. Buckeye Talk. We're going to do some rapid fire where I'm just going to answer some. I'm recording this Monday morning. I'm going to get this to you guys, hopefully by late Monday morning. And Nathan is in California. He's the, the one there for us. And there's some Disneyland stuff Monday afternoon, but it's like Monday afternoon California time. And then Nathan and I will hop on the pod. Steven will be jumping in during the week as well. But I wanted to give you something uh, to sort of tide you over. So we'll, we're going to have pods every day from Nathan in California covering the Rose Bowl live. He and I will be on at the very least. But we don't know the timing on that. He's got a bunch of interviews. So anyway, I want to do some rapid fire, just me, that the rapid fire questions, we did two rapid fire podcasts last week. But then there's a couple that eh, is a little more historical oriented and the old guy can answer those. So I'm going to do those right now. We hope you guys had an awesome holiday. We hope you are enjoying time with your family and friends, maybe getting a little bit of break here. If you guys are working, we hope you're uh, you know, looking forward to 2022 and had a good 2021. This is an interesting Rose Bowl game. It is not an end-all, be-all. And I'll tell you that it's a weird bowl season, man. We see these games getting canceled. The I originally actually was going to go to the Orange Bowl and be at Georgia-Michigan to sort of do college football uh, Survivor Show podcast live there, sort of lean into the national version of that. And then they went all virtual for their media session. So I was just on a um, Georgia Zoom Monday morning. It was 15 minutes of the defensive coordinator and then six players for five minutes each. It's like impossible to like cover a game that way. So I'm not anywhere. But we're going to, you know, anyway, <clears throat> you don't really care about my life. Let's get to some questions. This is a question from the 614. Doug, you've covered a variety of bowl games and playoff games. Where does the Rose Bowl rank for you? Is it just about the mountains and the parade? Is it a relic of a bygone era? Or do you still think it is a prominent destination? So I think there's two things about the Rose Bowl. I do think the the Rose Bowl is overblown and stuffy in a lot of ways and self-important. And the idea that the Rose Bowl will never move off January 1st as we move towards more and more of a playoff era. I mean, the Rose Bowl in a lot of ways can cram it. But what the Rose Bowl has, and it's hanging on to, and it realizes this, is that it was the bowl for the Big Ten for so long that there's like a Woody Hayes history of the Rose Bowl and an Archie Griffin history of the Rose Bowl and that kind of thing that I think, you know, a super soft history of the Rose Bowl that for so long, if you went to a bowl as Ohio State, you went to the Rose Bowl. So there's so much more opportunities for history, and that history lingers. That history lingers like a fog in those uh, purple mountains. I don't know what they're called, but like it, like it hovers over the stadium still, right? So yes, the mountains are right there by the stadium in Pasadena, and that third quarter shot with the sun setting, it's lovely. That's a little bit of it, but there's just much more history than there is at the Fiesta Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl or anywhere for Ohio State. So that's it to me. That's the main thing about it. I don't think really any more other than that, that there's a lot that makes the Rose Bowl better, right? I mean, California is nice, but so is Arizona. So is New Orleans. So is Florida. So are a lot of places. So I think it's, and, and the Rose Bowl knows that and never wants to give that up, which is why they're so um, snooty about some stuff. So like, you know, no offense to the Rose Bowl, but I, I think if you feel it as an Ohio State fan, it's because you feel a connection 
to something that you were part of as a kid or maybe your your parents or your grandparents were part of as a kid and like the Fiesta Bowl, for instance, just can't replicate that. But maybe down the line, listen, man, another 25 years when we look back and say, hey, the Fiesta Bowl, hey, man, that's 2002. Wow, that's like a historic thing. Maybe the Fiesta Bowl will have that Rose Bowl kind of history too. Let's do a, a Kerry Combs, Ed Warner question because I, I like when people ask comparison stuff. This is for the 858. Who had the greater negative effect as a bad hire? Ryan Day's hire and uh, of Kerry Combs for 20 and t- 2020 and 2021 as a defensive coordinator or Urban Meyer's promotion uh, of Ed Warner, Ed Warner as offensive coordinator in 2015 and 2016. Time to scab some wounds. That's our guy Khaled asking that. So I will say I do think it's Ed Warner because you had a certified, no doubt about it, national championship level team coming back in 2015. And that the only real thing that was a gaping hole from 2014 to 2015 was the loss of Tom Herman as the offensive coordinator. You had Ezekiel Elliott back. You had Joey Bosa back. You had Vaughn Bell back. You had Darren Lee back. You had Raquan McMillan back. You had Taylor Decker back. You had Cardale Jones and JT Barrett back. You had so much of the talent returning. Listen, you were missing Devin Smith and Michael Bennett and certainly some important guys. But you had everything there. What what happened in 20 and 21, listen, last year, I mean, Bama was going to be Bama. And that defense, even though it wasn't great and it was problematic, you still got to the national championship game. Right now, I mean, that Ohio State's not in the playoff, that does hurt because I do think there is an opening there. But that was there for the taking in 2015. So it's more the circumstance. I think they are probably similar in the end. Ed Warner, I think, was probably no doubt about it. And the combination of Tim Beck, that combo, I think you could first guess that in 2015 of like, I don't know about this, Urban. Why didn't you go out go out and get an outside hire as an offensive coordinator to replace Tom Herman to try and do... Tim Beck was an outside hire, but they, were, they hired him as quarterback's coach because he recruited the state of Texas and was a former high school coach in Texas and had that familiarity. But everybody... I talked to people who, who had real questions about Tim Beck before he got here in terms of being a play caller. And he's gone on. I mean, he's a play caller at North Carolina State and has done some things. Ed Warner was never designed to be a play caller. So I thought that was more obvious. Maybe some people first guessed the Kerry Combs hire because he'd never done it. And I think that's very reasonable. I didn't first guess it, but I do think Combs and Warner are similar in that they were really good position coaches. Combs better, but Warner was a really good offensive line coach, no doubt about it. And they just got promoted above their pay grade. But I think in the end, it's the Warner hire that hurts more because of what that 2015 team should have been. Should have been a, min, a mini dynasty. Which hire is worse? I do think at least Ryan Day kind of went out and got Kerry Combs and brought him back. To, to hire Beck seemed too easy. And to promote Warner, maybe Warner would have left if you didn't give him play calling, but it also seemed too easy to me. And I think Urban maybe should have pushed a little harder. So I still think that's worse. All right, this is, uh, again, we, we got these questions you know, like last week. So this is right after the Urban Meyer getting fired at Jacksonville stuff. From the 312, why does the media hate Urban so much? Maybe you hated Bobby Knight more, but Urban is loathed by the media. So I, I how do I say this? I am, uh, I am pro 
media, but I'm not pro every media member, right? I support journalism knowing that there are some journalists that I think are dingleberries. So I do think the media sometimes takes glee in Urban's failures or Urban's transgressions. And I don't know that that's a great look. I mean, I think, you know, but when you're a columnist, just your job is to express your opinion. I'm a columnist now. That's like, sometimes people say, hey, why are you giving us your opinion? It's like, well, that's actually my job. You're not just a straight beat writer there to report the news. I do think Urban is self-assured, believes he is right, believes his way is the right way, and presents that face. And so then when he's wrong, it's sort of like a, a fall from grace more than a guy who is maybe not quite so sure of himself. But again, like if you're going to be a great coach and a great um, leader of an organization, and, and Urban has had many on-field successes, you kind of have to be that way. I do think people think he's disingenuous, and I do think there are some things in his background that could lead you to that conclusion, but I do also think a lot of times all of us in life view people black and white, right and wrong, and there's a lot of gray in there. And this happened with Jim Tressel when everything was going down with Tattoogate, too, that there were things that were brought up about Jim Tressel. It was like, well, I mean, I don't know. That guy um, made some mistakes, maybe, but there's sure a lot of good people that really like Jim Tressel, and that's, that's how I try to judge this stuff. Look at the people around them and how they view them. So I do think in the end, I do think there are more, a greater swath of people who remained loyal to Jim Tressel and loved what he was and what he was all about. And I do think that is a bigger plus on Jim Tressel's side. And I don't know that Urban has quite as many people like that. But the idea that Urban is like all bad, Urban's done some stuff that is not great, including this, the thing in the bar in Ohio this year. And certainly the way he handled a lot of off-field player stuff at Florida it is hard to defend that. A lot of it is indefensible. But he got better. He improved at Ohio State. I think he ran the program in a, in a little bit of a different way. And then again, you look at people like Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantoni, who are who had been loyal to Urban all the way through and followed him, him from Florida. It's like, well, Pantoni's a good dude, and Marotti's a good dude. And, you know, there are players um, who really have good things to say about Urban Meyer. And so that matters. But I do think in the end... Urban is more sort of a, a means to an end that Urban Meyer was going to get your team to win. And is there as much personal loyalty with Urban as the, there is with a lot of coaches? Maybe not. But I do think people appreciate greatness. And by that, I mean winning on the field. And they appreciate being pushed. And they appreciate championship rings. But I think even the person asking this question, why does the media hate Urban Meyer? There's just something about Urban, right? And I don't, I think the media at times does go overboard. And I do think the media at times then in criticizing Urban brings in everything. And sometimes, again, there was a, a column that was like, well, and he picked Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. And it's like, okay, well, like go back and look. I mean, there was a, a lot of people would have picked Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow back then. But there's just something about Urban. There's something about Urban that he, he really believes that he's right, and that's part of what has made him a winning coach, and it's part of what has made him a guy that people sort of enjoy, I think, taking shots at when he fails. And I think that's real. 
from the 513. With the large number of new coaches at big name schools in 2021 and for 2022, who will see success and who will flame out over the next few years? So my co-host Shahan and I did this on the Colorless Football Survivor Show last week. Um, there's 14 new hires in the Power 5 division, uh, the Power 5 grouping of college football. And we kind of ran through the top five hires and who we think might flame out. I do think, not an under-the-radar one, but Billy Napier at Florida is a guy who is off the Saban tree, has a lot of Saban qualities, I think, People say that can be dangerous because just because you share qualities with people doesn't mean you're Nick Saban. But I think, for instance, the way LSU went after Brian Kelly and then Billy Napier was winning at Louisiana right in that state and that he wound up as the Florida head coach and LSU paid all this money for Brian Kelly. I think Billy Napier is going to wind up being a better hire and build a better cohesive program at Florida than what Brian Kelly will do at LSU. But I do think Lincoln Riley is going to work. I don't like the way it went down. I don't like necessarily the way he left Oklahoma and the way all that evolved. But I think just anybody with a little juice at USC is going to get it done. And they just were in, in an era with Clay Helton where they had no juice. And you you saw it already a little bit in recruiting. And I just, I don't know how that misses. The style of offense, a little bit of the personality. It's mostly the style of offense, though. But just bringing USC back at all, I, I do think that's going to hit. And I just don't love the Brian Kelly thing. And I do think Marcus Freeman is going to work out at Notre Dame. I think Marcus Freeman has an opportunity to sort of take Notre Dame uh, to new heights, even though they've been regularly in the playoff mix. I think his style of defense is really good. I think he's a good leader. I think the players believe in him. I think they'll be able to recruit. And I do think Notre Dame is going to be a little more of an issue for Ohio State in the Midwest in years to come. But I, I had Lincoln Riley at the top of my list. I had Marcus Freeman number two on my list, Billy Napier as sort of an off-the-radar thing. And then Brent Venables at Oklahoma is really interesting. He's waited for the right job. I think he has a chance to sort of do what Kirby Smart did, but they've got to make sure that they keep a little bit of the offensive juice going there in Lincoln Riley's shadow. Jeff Lebby's the guy they hired from Old Miss, who's uh, an Oklahoma alum. They paid him Jim Knowles kind of money, almost $2 million a year to come be the offensive coordinator there. That's kind of got a hit. But I think Brent Venables, I like guys who sort of take their time and wait for a really good job. And he was Clemson's defensive coordinator for almost a decade and was as good of an assistant coach as there was in college football and then waited for his uh, opportunity. It's going to shift. The college football landscape, there's enough big-name changes. Even you look at Steve Sarkeesian, if he gets the recruiting going a little bit better at Texas in year two, and they're bringing some guys in in the transfer portal, including Quinn Ewers, there are going to be some things happening that are going to affect Ohio State. Because when you look, and I do think Mario Cristobal at Miami is going to affect Ohio State to some degree and affect everybody in the North, because if Billy Napier at Florida, Mario Cristobal at Miami, and then Mike Norvell, who's still pretty new at Florida State. The fact that kind of everybody in Florida has been down at the same time has opened up the recruiting there a little bit. I think that's going to be harder if if Sarkeesian locks it down a little more in Texas. It's going to be harder for teams to recruit there. We've seen everybody raid Southern California and the West Coast. If Lincoln Riley locks that down, that's going to be harder for everybody. And if Washington... And Oregon, right, can either maintain or get even a little bit better. Mario Cristobal was recruiting really well at Oregon. Now Dan Lanning, the Georgia defensive coordinator, is going there. Kalen DeBoer going from Fresno State to Washington. The West Coast has been open for business, for recruiting, and Ohio State has capitalized on that as much as anybody. But you look at a world where 
Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, and CJ Stroud were all from Southern California two years ago in that recruiting class. They were the three best uh, quarterback recruits in the country, and none of them went to, to USC. They went to Bama, Clemson, and, and Ohio State. One of those guys would have gone to USC now. If Lincoln Riley was there, at least one of those guys would have gone to USC, and that would have affected somebody. Imagine if Bryce Young was at USC. Imagine if C.J. Stroud was at USC. So that's where I think the first impact is going to be felt. If USC, the Florida schools, and Texas lock it down a little bit more in recruiting, that's going to have an effect on a place like Ohio State. All right, we'll do a couple more, and we're going to have a quick guest appearance here on Buckeye Talk. We'll be right back after this. All right, Doug Lamarie's back on Buckeye Talk with this uh, solo rapid fire. Solo, it was solo at least. It's not solo now. From the 678, Doug, I don't have a question, but the only thing my wife wants for Christmas is a pod with your wife as the guest. She wants to know all about your wife and how she navigates, that's in quotes, (laughs) life with you. Maybe a pod idea for January, February. That's Steve and Gina in Atlanta. All right. I, like I told Gina. my wife about this. She's already jumping in. This is this is how we navigate it. I told my wife about this, and, and she would not wait until January, February. Now she just opened her mouth. She's a, she's a gog. This is my wife, Katie. I've been doing this podcast for seven years. We've been married for... Uh, I always say this. It's not that I can't remember when we got married. Right. It's that I can't remember what year it is now. Sure. So we got married in 1995. So what year is it now? 2021. So we've been married for 26 years? Yep. All right, so there was like 19 years before podcasting and then seven years <laughs> since podcasting. I think those 19 years you would consider the heyday of the Lay Maurice marriage before I started doing this. Yeah. Um, what is it like navigating, in quotes, life with Doug, the person and the podcaster? Oh, gosh. Where to start? First of all, uh, I think the podcast has given you an outlet for the ranting. And so that's probably been a good thing. Um, I would say that what people might think is that you act like this all the time, but you live with three very opinionated, strong-willed women who would not put up with that. So I think if Gina is worried about that we get podcasted at, that's not quite how it works. But there are plenty of times when we've had to say, we're not your podcast audience. You can lower your register, lower your volume, calm down. You don't have to berate us for our opinions. And yeah, so it's it's not it's not a 24/7 buckeye talk experience in the Lamerie's household. I did hear someone a podcaster talking about this the other day that you can't be disingenuous no. on a podcast, but you are a heightened version of yourself. It's like, am I this guy? Is it? Am I this guy? Is this me? Is this yeah. me? Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of opinions. I do. But we have a lot of opinions. And we, we don't sit around and wait for you to podcast at us. I do. There are times when the dinner table discussion sometimes starts to feel like a podcast. And if it's yeah. too good, I almost don't want to have the conversation. I want save to it save, it, save, save it for, for the, the podcast. podcast. We say that a lot, too. Yeah. 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 So is it? Is have you noticed a change in me with the podcast though? I don't really pay that yeah. much attention yeah. to no. you. So it's just loud in the basement most <laughs> of the time. It's loud in the basement. Yeah. But what percent but you've listened to the podcast in the past. Yes. Right? Yes. You've listened to the podcast. Yes. Like like what percent heightened do you think I am? Like eight or nine. Oh, for real? Yeah. Only that much? Yeah. You're pretty loud all the time. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean no, no. this is not 
you don't go through life like uh, quiet and calm and no. and you know chill. That's not you. No, 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 no. No. So this is no. just you just get a little louder. You just get a little uh, more argumentative. You are an argumentative person. It's just that you I don't. Made... I don't think that's true. <laughs> Start a debate club? No. So yeah, I mean it's it's annoying, and we hear half of it, and we put up with it and we have to tiptoe around the house and we navigate it that way. We have that whole text thread of where you are and what you're doing and be acknowledging that dad is podcasting. So dad is podcasting. Dad is podcasting is a yeah. frequent theme of our family text. Yeah. Okay. Is it terrible though? Is it terrible to navigate me? It's not terrible, right? I mean, not just specifically about the podcast. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, do we want to, you don't have enough time. Okay. That's for the therapist. Okay. We'll save that for counseling. All right. So I do find uh, sometimes people like to have their family members on podcasts. No offense to my lovely wife. Typically, you find your own family more interesting than other people find your family. So I don't, no offense to you. I just don't think, I don't think we need to do a whole pod. Gina asked for it. No, no, no. And we aim to please. No, 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 no. Well, I understand that also that, that I put, Family members, wives and husbands and people who don't care about Buckeye Talk. I have gotten enough messages over the years that I understand that I put families through heck sometimes because they say, who is that person shouting out of your phone all the time? So um, this is to commiserate that if you are – so Gina, if you think to yourself, my God – I can't stand this Doug guy shouting out of my husband's phone. Just imagine what it's like to live with me Thank in you, the Gina. end. Thank you, Gina, for your empathy and your, your concern. We're but, good. But you have it worse than anybody is the bottom line. I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. It's worth it. Is it, though? I don't know. Think, <laughs> of, think of all the benefits. She did buy me a shirt one time that said, mean, mean. but 100% right. Because I had said that to you. You said, is that is this too mean? And I said, it's mean, but it's 100% right. And he said, oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Yeah. No, that's on my tombstone. <laughs> mean, but 100% right Buckeye talk is. But also probably whatever's on my tombstone at this point is going to be then tagged with Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk. Or it's going to be like Doug Maurice, 1973 to 2026, dash, dash, Buckeye talk. There you go. That'll be it. There you go. Okay. All right. Thanks for trying to make it seem like you like me. <laughs> Back to Ed Warner. He doesn't like me. Uh, my wife likes me more than, more than Ed Warner likes me, which is a good thing for any marriage, and I will tell the counselor that. Uh, from the 513, thanks, Katie. Love you. Unfortunately, no burning questions on my mind this week, guys, but I did want to let Doug know I got his book in the mail this week. Thank you very much. Looking forward to reading it. So I did get some nice messages that people got uh, – the Road to Ohio State as a Christmas gift. You can still buy it if you got it like post Christmas. You know, you're out. You didn't get it for Christmas. You thought, oh, maybe someone will get me that Ohio State book, and they and they didn't get it for you. Uh, you can still get it. So I'm still selling it on my Venmo. I'll sign it however you want me to sign it. And uh, if you have a Venmo account, it's Doug Road to Ohio State. But apparently, it's also in the bookstores, so you can go buy it there. I just get more money if you buy it from me. So, uh, but, but mostly thanks to everybody who has purchased one or had one purchased for them so far. Much appreciated. This is from the 513. Who's the one recruit you wish Ohio State never went after? And who's the one recruit you wish Ohio State made, made a bigger push for? So I, I I will say watching Micah Parsons become 
one of the very best young defenders in the NFL and playing both linebacker and edge rusher for the Dallas Cowboys is a an interesting scenario to me. We saw what a good player he was at Penn State. He opted out last year and did not play. He was heavily involved uh, with Ohio State in the recruiting process. He's from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And he was kind of in here in a lot of ways. And they had like the thing where he came by the game day set at Ohio State. And they Ohio State reported a minor NCAA violation over Micah Parsons visiting that set. And one of the things they said as a result was like they would stop recruiting the prospect. It was so like, oh, like this ESPN thing made Ohio State stop recruiting Micah Parsons. I think they just weren't sure about um, – some things with him that they sort of like remove themselves from the process, which which is not a, you know, which is not a shot at Micah Parsons because like look at where he is, and you do that as a program sometimes that you don't always take every single best player if you're not sure if the fit both on and off the field is going to be there. But then you look at what he was as a linebacker at Penn State, and you look at the issues that Ohio State had at linebacker for this kind of time period that overlapped with part of what Micah Parsons did at Penn State, and I wonder if they could have navigated it. Like, could they have just, is this a guy that you would have said, you know what, we're not 100% sure, but the talent is so ridiculous, let's go for it. That's also a way... To like get yourself in trouble, maybe sometimes if if you force it, right? But especially like in the transfer era, and I, I don't know. It, it, on the field, he really would have made a big impact at Ohio State. So I'm not. I don't think it's a straight mistake that Ohio State didn't go harder in the end for Micah Parsons. But I do think it is an interesting what if. In terms of the core, the the recruits use. I sort of wish. You know, that maybe they didn't go after. I, I do think there is a fork in the road with Terrell Pryor. And I don't know that it's too much to say. I mean, this is, I mean, you guys know what's up. And you guys, a lot of you listened to the podcast that I did with Adam Jardy this summer about the recruitment of Terrell Pryor. That if Terrell Pryor doesn't come to Ohio State, Jim Tressel, his career at Ohio State does not end when it does. And goes a very different way. But then again, over time, people have said a lot of things about, well, Jim Trestle leaving when he did led to Urban Meyer, which led to a national championship, which led to Ryan Day. But that's almost the opposite side of that, that that was a situation Ohio State sort of didn't extend itself for Micah Parsons, but it did extend itself for Terrell Pryor. And then what's the end game there? And and so do you go back and say, well, that was a mistake by Ohio State? I don't know. If you're going to be great, do you have to take some risks in recruiting? Probably yes. Was that a risk? It certainly was. At that time in Jim Trussell's career, it probably was worth it. But I do think that's the one that I'm never going to get away from that because the outcome was so influential. I mean, it changed the course of Ohio State football history. And again, as Adam and I talked about on that podcast, you know, we met when Terrell got here after covering that recruitment and talked about writing a book. And because we said, we think there's a chance he leads Ohio State to a national title. And we think there's a chance that, you know, the program kind of goes up in flames as a result of this. And and it was the second, not the first, but it felt like it was going to be extreme either way. So I think we can all sort of decide for ourselves if that's a mistake or not 
Um, but I think you certainly can justify it in the moment. But it certainly was a risk. All right, this is a little bit off topic. From the 7-4-0. I heard this somewhere. I'm not sure where since podcasts are all I do. But anyway, what is your thought on the idea of Travis Hunter committing to Jackson State uh, by Deion Sanders playing seven-dimensional chess? Deion Sanders, again, is the head coach at Jackson State. He uh, flipped Travis Hunter, the number one recruit in the country, from Florida State on signing day. It's one of the biggest recruitments um, for that level of football in history. Um, Dion, he obviously uh, wants Florida State to hire him, and they clearly didn't because he's so new in the coaching realm. What if he signed Travis Hunter as a way to show he's what he's about and possibly working his way toward the Florida State job, and then he takes Hunter there? So Hunter wins name, image, likeness, and gets that exposure and still gets to play for Florida State, and Dion set it all in motion. I am fascinated by this evolution of college football. I am fascinated by people like Dion Sanders and Eddie George taking over as head coaches at that level of football. And what would fascinate me the most is somebody like Deion Sanders not leaving and trying to build a place like Jackson State into a national power. Not by getting Travis Hunter and leaving and taking Travis Hunter with him, but by getting one Travis Hunter and then getting another Travis Hunter and another Travis Hunter and another Travis Hunter. And that idea absolutely fascinates me. And I do think a coach with an aura and a personality and a football resume like Deion Sanders has the opportunity to do that because I think when you start with Deion and then you add a player like Travis Hunter and then could you get people to support Jackson State football and pour get donors and boosters to pour money into that program and then try to raise that program up a level and then create a new type of football program there. I think you could. So that's the number one thing that fascinates me. If something like that would ever happen. The idea of Dion, though, doing this to then make a jump also seems plausible to me because I do think Deion Sanders is a strategic thinker. He is a dynamic personality. And I do think he could do something like this to prove something and say, if you had doubts about me, how legit I am. Ah, well, you know, he gave some energy to Jackson State. They proved that program. But what does that mean? Well, I just landed the number one recruit in the country. Now come hire me Florida State or come hire me next big time opening. I think that could be real too. And I do think a guy like Eddie George, I mean, what if Eddie George is in the running for a job in the Big Ten in a couple of years? Because he's Eddie stinking George, man. Because there is there is an authority that comes with being Eddie George. And I know over time, I think in sports, there have been a lot of discussions about do great players make great coaches? But maybe we're entering a new era here where we're going to look at great players in a different way in college football and think about that. So... I am ready to monitor that and keep my eyes on that because I think it could go either of those two ways. It could be a one-time thing that kind of doesn't change the landscape, but I think it could change it in one of two ways, where a guy like Dion makes a jump or where a guy like Dion stays and establishes something at a new program and builds up a, a new program that then becomes a major challenger on the national college landscape in five years, and that would fascinate me more than anything else. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, come back with the last few uh, rapid-fire questions for me. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back with one last quick question here on Buckeye Talk. I don't think this podcast has been that good. My wife was good. 
I'm not that interesting today. I got to get better. From the 513, will loss of value insurance find its way into the name, image, and likeness conversation, i.e., will someone sponsor players to appear in bowl games with a loss of value policy? So these kind of things pop up in college football. Um, Sometimes players, when they don't go to the NFL, when they thought about it, they come back for one more year of college, and you can get this insurance policy where if you're projected to be picked somewhere and then you get injured and you don't get picked where you thought you could have this insurance policy that you pay for and it's like you sort of project protect yourself a little bit from lowering your draft stock so it's like hey i mean you look at a guy like it still breaks my heart i mean like jalen smith from notre dame in that fiesta bowl after the 2015 season taylor decker blocks jalen smith the notre dame linebacker and it changes the course of his career he hurts his knee He's not a first-round pick, and he goes on and gets to play in the NFL, but he certainly didn't have the the kind of career that people were expecting for him at that time. And it's like, why? I think that's a, that's a moment that I think stands out for people when you think about all the opt-outs right now. I don't know what – I don't know that that's enough because when you do a loss of value um, policy for like a whole year, you're getting a whole year out of it, and you're getting a whole year to raise your stock – Nobody raises their stock in a bowl game. There's no upside for your for your draft stock because you are what you are by that point. All you can do is get hurt and then hurt your stock. So the upside is playing a final game with your team. Football is fun. It's why you do it. You're there with the brotherhood. But man, like if you're a first round pick, I I just don't know that you could create anything. I wonder if you could create name, image, and likeness stuff. You know, if if you have a bowl sponsor, right? If you have the blank bowl and that blank bowl, which they make money, right? I mean, they have all these guys in their little weird color blazers that come around to bowl games. There's still a lot of the bowl system that's a boondoggle for the bowls themselves. Could you pay money? Could that could the Peach Bowl pay Kenny Pickett, the Pitt quarterback, to play. But if Kenny Pickett's going to be a top 15 NFL pick and sign a, an NFL contract for $20 million, how much would you have to pay him to get him to play in one bowl game? If the, if the Peach Bowl paid him a million dollars, would he play? Is, it st- is that worth it? When you have all this money coming right around the corner? Half a million? I mean, then is it worth it for the bowl? I, I don't know if there's a solution. Because we haven't seen opt-outs for the playoff because guys want to win championships and there's something on the line. Bowls are vacations. And why would you go on vacation if you are actually trying to get ready for your next job interview and you could get hurt? I mean, there's at least running through a list of of opt-outs for this bowl season. There's at least like five starting quarterbacks that have opted out. Carson Strong at Nevada opted out. He's going to be a high pick, but his coach also left for Colorado State. So like, the whole Nevada team opted out of its bowl. Kenny Pickett, one of the four Heisman finalists at Pitt, um, he opted out. David Bell and George Karloftis, the two best players, the two players that make Pitt go, they opted out. Auburn starting quarterback Bo Nix, he opted out and then transferred to Oregon. Traylon Burks, who's one of the five best receivers in this coming NFL draft, along with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson for Arkansas, he opted out. Bunch of dudes opted out for Missouri, including uh, Tyler Beatty, who's like their whole offense at running back. Again, and then half these teams, my God, they're not even playing the game because of COVID and stuff. So Kenneth Walker III, Michigan State running back. So like the best players in that Michigan State pit matchup, which is a New Year's Six Bowl, the two best players opted out, Kenneth Walker III and Kenny Pickett. Two of Notre Dame's best players, 
Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton, the running back and the safety. Kyle Hamilton's an unbelievable player. He's going to be one of the first defensive players off the board. He opted out. Brees Hall, the running back for Iowa State, who made them go, he opted out. I just, but I, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any solution other than a playoff. And so, if you have a 12-team playoff and then you're playing, it's like people say, well, it's it's more on guys' bodies to play three playoff games, but. It also will get guys to play, but it's also one of those things. It's like, well, you're opting out of one game. Now you're going to play three because your team has a chance to win a title. They're not they're not getting paid by the schools, and it's not affecting their NIL deals, their sponsorships. I mean, right? I mean, I don't I don't know that any of the things that guys are endorsing is like, oh, well, if you don't play in your bowl, we're not going to give you the money. So I, I don't know if there's an answer. I really don't. But the idea of these bowls that operate for whatever reason to still to put money in the pockets of the bowl CEOs, if they started paying, offering money to some of the best players to play in the bowl, I wonder about that. But I don't know that it would do anything. I don't think it would keep Kyle Hamilton and Kenny Pickett and guys like that in games. And I don't know. We don't know yet as we record this what's up with Garrett Wilson. Nathan will get some information on that Monday afternoon. Will it keep Garrett Wilson in? I don't know. So I think it might be just something we have to live with. And I think more and more we'll be thinking about bowl season where it's not playoff games. Bowl season becomes the first game of next year. And you you earn it based on what you did, but the game is about what you're going to do. And I think the fans have to get adjusted to that. And I think the matchups have to be adjusted to that almost. That maybe it affects how you match teams up because it's about who might be good next year. And it's almost like an exhibition game for next year. We talk about college football. They don't play preseason games. Maybe we start thinking about every bowl game that's not a playoff game as the one preseason game of the following year. And I don't know that that changed anything, but maybe it helps us all kind of figure out what bowl season is really about. All right. There was a time sort of when we had the crossover where we lost some guys. We lost Landis and kind of Steven had just gotten here and I was doing some pods that were just me. People eviscerated me. They were like, I hate Doug. I hate Doug podcasting by himself. So I'm not sure why I felt the need to do this, but I wanted to give you a little something before we get into Nathan Baird's California adventure. And we will start doing that this week. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Again, I would direct you to the College Football Survivor Show podcast up there, Cincinnati, Alabama breakdown. Michigan-Georgia breakdown. We're going to be doing a couple more podcasts this week, me and Shahan, as we get ready for those playoff games. And certainly here on Buckeye Talk, we'll be getting you guys ready for the Rose Bowl and reporting on everything going on out there in California, what we're learning about the team. Go ahead and read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Um, follow us on Twitter at Buckeye Talk Pod. Drop the reviews. We're always grateful for those. And hey, the text. Nathan's going to be texting a lot of stuff from California. Good time to get it. 614-350-3315. And since nobody else is here, I'll pitch my book one more time. The Road to Ohio State. I think it's at a lot of bookstores in Ohio, but you also can order it directly from me. Go on Venmo. It's The, the Venmo thing is Doug Road to Ohio State. It's 25 bucks. That covers my shipping. I had to buy envelopes. I got to mail it to you. But I'll sign it however you want me to sign it. So if you pay me the 25 bucks on Venmo, um, t- give me your address and give me how you want me to sign it. And if there's, I mean, listen, anybody who 
really wanted it, probably already got it. So this is my last desperate pitch. I still got a couple boxes. I could order them from the company, and I ordered too many. So I got boxes of books in my house. And, uh, you know, if you want one, that'd be great. All right. We'll be back with Nathan, and I think later on Monday. For now, for me, that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>